Again, if you're able, please rise as we read God's word together from, again, the Gospel of Matthew and also Psalm 51. Hear the reading of God's word from Matthew 6, verse 12. Let's back up one. There we go. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now over to Psalm 51. Maybe. (laughs) There we go. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. And, te- and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in your right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings? Then bulls will be offered on your altar. So far the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for your word. And you have promised that your word would remain firm and true and steadfast forever and ever. So uphold that promise. Guide my words and bring this, your word, to these people gathered here today. May you mold us, shape us to be more like Jesus Christ. It's in his strong name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I want you to imagine with me a scene this morning. It's really not a very pleasant scene, and there is reasons why I want us to imagine the scene, and you'll find out fairly quickly. I would like you to imagine with me this scene that you go back a a few hundred years and you are in the middle of a battle. You're in the middle of a battle scene of the United States Civil War. I don't necessarily want you to imagine the horrors of war. What I want you to imagine with me this morning is the sound of war. I want you to imagine the noise. I want you to imagine the noise of Dozens of cannon being shot across the field and from behind you. I want you to imagine the noise of muskets being fired to your left and to your right and across a field. Imagine the noise of screams and fighting and grunting. A terrible scene, yes? 
Now, as you have that cacophony of sounds in your imagination, and you find yourself looking through the din of musket and cannon smoke, there's one more sound I want you to hear this morning. I want you to hear the sound of a drum. A familiar sound. A sound that is coming from behind you or perhaps to your left or to your right. And maybe even another drum across the field. That sound of the drum is sometimes loud and it's sometimes faint. It goes in and out of the noise. Imagine a boy playing that drum. You see, this is the sound that will keep you alive. This is the sound that will instruct you in every area of your life on this battlefield. It will tell you to go forward. It will tell you to go to the left, and it will tell you to go to the right. It will tell you to retreat. It may even tell you how to load a wagon full of ammunition. This sound of this boy's drum will instruct you in every area of life. You are trained to be tuned in to the sound of that drum, to the cadence of that drum, because the different cadence will give you a different command. One cadence will tell you to go to the right, another will tell you to go to the left. And there are moments when this sound will draw you to places that are difficult. There are moments when the sound of this drum will be a comfort to you, like let's retreat and get out of here. The drum is the rhythm of your life on the battlefield. It'll move you through the difficulty of the battle, through the difficulty of life. One author writes these words, Repentance is the steady drumbeat of life. The sound of the drum will sometimes draw us into very difficult situations. The sound of this drum will at times be a comfort to us. The sound of the drum, the repentance of the Christian, is the rhythm that directs our lives. It is this drumbeat that reminds us of who we are in Christ. It is this drumbeat that reminds us of our own failings and our Father's amazing grace. It directs us and shapes our hearts to be completely and entirely dependent upon Him and Him alone for His grace and His mercy. This drumbeat shapes and molds how we look at ourselves and how we look at the world, how we look at the battlefield, if you want to enter back into that scene. It directs and shapes of how we view our neighbors, our families, our friends, our church brothers and sisters. It even shapes how we look at our enemies. It moves us, this drumbeat does, into a certain posture. This drumbeat of repentance moves us into a posture of humility rather than a posture of judgment and gossip and fear and criticism. As we pray this prayer each and every week, as we confess our sins as both a corporate body and as individuals, if we are understanding the cadence of this drum the result ought to be similar to David's. Have mercy on me, O God. That cadence removes the desire to point the finger. 
That posture then gives us the ability to see a broken world. To see a broken world through the lens of mercy and compassion rather than one of skepticism and fear. Or even perhaps condemnation. You see, because the noise of life can do that to us. The difficult thing about this scene that I described to you, or the difficult thing about life, is that as we hear the drumbeat of repentance, we misunderstand the cadence. We don't understand the cadence of the drum, and so let us imagine this scene. Once again, you're, you're back in this Civil War battle scene, and the noise is terrifying and deafening loud. The smoke is thick. We hear the cadence of the drum. We hear the cadence of the drum faintly over the cannon and musket fire. The drum call is for the company to move to the right, but I am sure, as I am on the left flank, that I am supposed to wheel to the left. The drum cadence continues, and the company moves right, and I move left, and I find myself alone in a terrifying and deadly situation. It's in that moment, right, when skepticism and fear really kick in. It's in that moment when condemnation kicks in and doubt kicks in and the immediate feelings and emotions of terror kick in. Surely the company misunderstood. We were all supposed to go to the left. Surely the officer made a mistake. We were supposed to go to the left. It's the drummer boy's fault. We were supposed to go to the left. But we misunderstood the cadence of the drum. The drummer had made a mistake. This is what happens to us. Happens to me all the time. We are quick to see the wayward actions of others. We are quick to judge and condemn the world as terrible and spinning out of control. And we're hesitant. I am hesitant to confess that we've misunderstood the cadence of the drum. Sin is always lurking. Our sin is always lurking. It lurks just below the surface of our lives. Every day, every hour, every moment of every day, every moment of every hour. It lurks, and it lurks, and it lurks. And because this is our reality, repentance and falling on the abundant mercy and steadfast love of the Lord in repentance should be, ought to be, needs to be our daily routine to live by the drumbeat of repentance. The scene that I have asked us to engage in is a difficult one, I understand that, and it's not only important to help us enter into what I'm trying to have us understand this morning, but it also is important to understand Psalm 51. For this is the context of Psalm 51 as well. No, obviously it's not the context of the American Civil War. I'm not that historically illiterate. However, it's a scene of a battle. It's a scene of the battle between Israel and the Ammonites. While the war was being waged, David, who was in Jerusalem as the reigning king, noticed a woman who was not his wife. As the king, he ordered his men to find out who this woman was and to then bring her to him. As the king, they obeyed. This woman, as we know, was Bathsheba, and she was married to a certain gentleman by the name of Uriah. Uriah was one of David's mighty men who was away 
in the war. He was away in the battle, a similar battle to what we just described. David had Bathsheba brought to him, and sometime later, she let it be known to David that she had conceived his child. Well, David began to put some plans in motion. He began to to cooperate with his men to figure out a way to get out of this mess because he did not want this on his hands, even though it was his problem. So what did he do? He had his men go get Uriah and bring him back home. After all, a soldier being away from his family for a while in the, in the battle and all of the horrors of battle, you bring him home, and the first thing that Uriah should, would want to do, we would think, would be to return to his wife. He hadn't seen her in some time, and David thought, well, he's coming home, he's going to be with his wife. Well, David didn't factor in Uriah's loyalty to the king. Uriah never went home. He stayed in the temple or in the, in, in the castle with David and wouldn't leave. So David said, well, that didn't go according to plan because he was hoping that the time frame would make sense and you got it, right? So David made another plan, okay? David wasn't understanding the cadence of the drum of repentance. He commanded Uriah to go back to the battle. Then he sent a letter with Joab, Uriah's commander. It says these words. Set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. Sin was no longer lurking, but rather breached the surface like a great white and a seal. David did not understand the cadence of the drum. All David could do was think of David. All David could do was justify himself. Seek his pleasure. Seek his control. Seek his fantasies. Seek his agenda. This is what sin does. It deafens our ears to the drum. And we can't hear it. It deafens our ears to see the the errors of our ways. David is an adulterer. David manipulated lives for the abuse of power. David is a murderer. He did not have the rhythm of repentance in his life and was unable to see anything other than himself, and this is what sin does. Last time I assessed this congregation, which is often, I realized that none of us are kings, none of us are queens. None of us have abused power of a king or a queen because we're not kings or queens, so we couldn't do that. The last time I checked, as far as I know, none of us are murderers. So what does this have to do with us? What does this have to do with me? We may not be murderers or abusers, but we are people who gossip. We are people who share stories not founded in truth and behind others' backs. We gather in groups to commiserate our misery, and we seek out and search people who we know are in the same camp as us to commiserate misery with each other. We are people who lie. We are people who cheat. We are people who abuse substance and people. We are a people who think highly of ourselves and condemn our neighbor. 
sin is always lurking. And there are many times, even in our own lives, when it breaks the surface just like the great white. This is our reality. And understanding fully this morning that these are not easy things to contemplate, and it's not easy for our brokenness to be exposed, our sin to be exposed. But it's then and there where we hear the drum beat and the cadence of repentance. We need to listen to the drum, to the drum of repentance, and have the cadence in our lives every day. This then is where Psalm 51 shatters our pride, shatters our ego, shatters our justification. If David, an adulterous, abusing murderer, is able to fall at the feet of the Lord God in repentance and have the faith and the steadfast love and abundant mercy of the Lord, then we too, under the Lord, will provide the same abundant or steadfast love and abundant mercy to us, to me as well. In Psalm 51, David finally heard the drum. The Lord used the prophet Nathan, i.e., a pastor, if you will, to confront him in regards to his sin. I would not be doing my job if I did not confront my own sin or our sins or our collective sins. Because without our understanding of sin, we don't understand the magnitude and the height and the depths and the wits of God's abundant love and steadfast love and abundant mercy. We just simply cannot understand them to the degree that they are. David finally heard the drum. David's words, Have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy. This is the cadence of the drum. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Do you hear the cadence? Or have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Have mercy. This is the cadence of the drum. This is the cadence of our lives. It is this mercy and love and this mercy and love alone that allows us to navigate through life, through the battle of life, through the noise of life. What Psalm 51 is urging us to do this morning is to recognize the reality of our own lives, to recognize and to wrestle with the brokenness of our own lives and also to wrestle with the reality that the Lord is a God of mercy and love. And because He's that kind of God, we have a hope. We have an assurance that we are restored. What does that restoration look like for us today? I'm not David. Neither are you. So what can we learn from this psalm that reaches into our souls? And just like we saw last week, that the psalms are a mirror to our souls This psalm points out the ugly and the broken parts of who we are. It just simply does. We can learn that the restoration David longs for is the same restoration that we long for. We can learn that restoration looks beautiful. It looks glorious. 
morning, then I want to look not at the entirety of Psalm 51, but to pull out just a few quick things in a couple of verses in Psalm, 50, in Psalm 51, verses 10 to 12. But as we enter back into Psalm 51, I, I do want to ask and, and to, to, to lay out there something that perhaps is, is a question that we all ask at some point in our lives, maybe even right now as we sit here today. Why do we have to repent? If we're forgiven of our sins that we committed yesterday, we're forgiven of our sins that we are committing, and we're forgiven of our sins that we're going to commit, why do I need to repent? It's a good question. The argument can be made that this petition that we pray in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, the argument can be made is that this is for the non-Christian or, or, or the new Christian. But what we us understand about the Lord's Prayer is that it builds upon itself. One phrase after the other builds upon itself. And so as we start our prayer, we say, Our Father. Well, who has the right to call someone their father? Someone who is a child. So we must understand then that we aren't kicked out. We never were kicked out. So when we repent, we're we're not saying, hey, let me back in, God. I need to get back into your good graces and your good standings. No. So why do we repent? It has to do with, with the relationship. The rhythm of repentance is one of a relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And repentance, then, is godly sorrow. Godly sorrow for our sins. Godly sorrow is then owning and taking responsibility for our sins and approaching the Lord in humility in this relationship. So we hear the cadence of the drum. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. It is then where we realize that the work of the Lord is doing in our lives to restore us to Himself. With this reality then, that the Lord is quick to forgive and does indeed restore us, we also understand that restoration gives us amazing gifts. And that's what we see in Psalm 51 in verses 10 to 12. And I'm going to go through some of these fairly quickly, but Let's just see what the gifts are that the Lord gives us as we fall at the feet of his steadfast love and abundant mercy. What does that look like for us here and today? The first gift that we see, if you would turn back into your Bibles to Psalm 51 and look at verse 10 with me, let us together behold the wondrous work of the Father and his steadfast love and abundant mercy. The first gift that we're given in repentance and restoration is is a new heart and a new spirit. What a beautiful thing to behold. David, confronted, by, confronted in his sin by a prophet or his pastor, falls on his knees before the Lord and acknowledges that his heart is not clean and his spirit is not right. The cadence of the drum beats on. Have mercy on me. If he's asking for a clean heart and a new spirit, that means his heart is dirty and his spirit is wrong. And he recognizes that. Godly sorrow. The fundamental of asking the Lord to forgive us our debts is to first recognize that we have debts. 
that we have sin, and that sin is grave sin, deadly sin. We cannot rationalize or or justify or, or quantify our sins. We cannot say, well, at least my sin ain't his sin. Well, at least my sin is better than yours. When we read Romans 6.23, it tells us that the wages of sin is death. Paul does not categorize that sin, that certain sins demand more death or less death. It says the wages of sin is death. Sin has dirtied our hearts and our lives, and my sin, our sin, is worthy of death. In Psalm 51.10, David is recognizing that very reality, isn't he? And begs the Lord to create in him a clean heart and renew a right spirit. He understands that he's broken. He understands that he's sinful and weak. He's asking the Lord in his repentance to renew a right obedience in him. A spirit of humility and grace rather than a selfish desire for his needs, wants, and desires and entitlements to be filled. A new spirit that David is asking for is a new attitude. A new heart that seeks to glorify the Lord rather than himself. This is what we then pray for as well when we ask forgiveness. Not just forgive my sins and take them away, but replace it with something. Replace it with a new heart and a a new attitude and a new spirit of how I look at myself and my friends and my family and the world and my church. It gives us a, a new set of lenses to look through. In forgiveness, the Lord removes the dirt and the ugliness and sends his spirit to continue to sanctify us and mold us to be more like Jesus. He gives us a new heart. The second gift that we receive is a new home. Not the kind of home that we might be thinking about of four walls of bricks and a roof. But David in his repentance is wrestling with the reality of the extent to which he has sinned. He recognizes that the Lord in all of his holiness and righteous anger should cast him away. David has earned his wage. David has earned his wage of death. David has earned his wage of separation from the Lord, but this is more than he can bear. This is the worst of punishments that David can imagine. The worst of punishments that David could imagine is the Lord would not be with him. To exist in a world where there is no God is the most horrific place to exist. That place is the isolation of hell. David knows full well that in his sin, this is what he has earned. In his manipulation, in his lies, in his adultery, in his murder, he has earned that very thing. And this is what Paul tells us too, the wages of sin is death. Separation from the Lord our God. The frightening thing about sin is the punishment that sin demands. To be separated from the Lord by death and hell is terrifying. I omit to you in full disclosure that I lose sight of this punishment. I lose sight of the level to which the Lord hates my sin. Our sin. 
I lose sight of the home that's rightfully mine in my sin. And that's hell. That's separation from the Lord our God. I cheapen sin, and by definition, cheapen grace. It's not that big of a deal to think of that person in that way. It's not that big of a deal to talk about someone behind their back. It's not that big of a deal to say cruel things about someone when I don't know them or don't know what they're struggling with. I don't know their story. It's not that big of a deal to talk about someone, is it? It's not that big of a deal to look down upon someone for their decisions in life because they're not my decisions in life. It's not that big of a deal to to look at someone how they live their life because it's not the way I live my life. It's not that big of a deal for me to judge someone, is it? Not a big deal. I was reminded this week of these sins in my own life, in my own heart. I was reminded this week of another sin that drove this spike further into my own heart, and I was reminded of another scene. It's the sixth hour of a Friday morning. The sun was to have already risen above the horizon, but it was still dark. There was darkness all over the land. I want you to imagine this scene this morning. Another sound you hear is a sound of a woman crying. Not just with a sniffle, but a sob. A wail. A horrific wail. And you see this woman wailing as she gazes upon her son. As he hangs upon a Roman cross. This scene continues for three more hours in darkness, in tears, in sobs. And then this woman's son, her son Jesus, cries out in a loud voice, Ali, Ali, lama sabachthani! Which means, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Forgiveness is not cheap. Grace is not cheap. The price was the fact that Jesus was removed from the presence of the Lord. David was not removed from the presence of the Lord. I am not removed from the presence of the Lord. You are not removed from the presence of the Lord. Jesus was removed from the presence of the Lord. The price of death and hell was charged to the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, not to you or to me. Sin is expensive. Grace is not cheap. Jesus paid it all. Not because of what I have done, but because that we have a new home with the Lord Jesus in His reality, gives us His presence for all of eternity. He gives us Himself, and the drumbeat continues, have mercy on me. Jesus paid the price by taking the death and the separation, which is rightfully mine, upon Himself, 
and defeated these by rising from the dead on the third day. And he ascended into heaven where he sits this day at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. You see, David had the same faith that you and I have. He looked to this same Savior and he fell with all of his weight into this grace and into this mercy. David placed his faith in this Messiah just as you and I do. David understood that he could not pay this debt. It was too expensive. But Jesus did. He recognized he needed salvation. He understood that he had forgotten the price. He had forgotten the price of his forgiveness. He understood that he had lost sight of the joy of being restored back into the favor of the Lord God Almighty. He'd forgotten the sound of the drum. He'd forgotten the cadence of the dependence of abundant mercy and steadfast love. And he asked the Lord to restore him the joy he had experienced when he did understand what the Messiah would do for him. Do you remember those moments in your life? And they do happen for us all at various moments in our lives. Do you remember the feeling of gratitude? Do you remember the thanksgiving? Do you remember the joy of of coming to grips and to terms with the depths of our sin and the heights and the lengths that Jesus has gone to forgive you and me of our sins? Do you know the joy of that salvation on this day? For this is what Psalm 51 is about. Restore to me that joy, the understanding and the reality of what Jesus has accomplished. And to hear the cadence, have mercy on me. And he does. You see, this is our hope. And this is the last gift that we see in these few verses, that we're given a new hope. That we're given a new hope and understanding that we will never be separated from the Lord. And he won't draw back like the armies of David did to Uriah. But he steps in, gathers us to himself, and he is our shield, our defender, our high tower, our strong fortress. And we can go on and on through the Psalms, can't we? And so now I can hear the drum. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. The hope that we are forgiven. So forgiveness according to the Father in heaven is rooted in the steadfast love and abundant mercy of our Lord. And so when we ask for mercy, it's already been given. We're not cast away but we're drawn closer. It's been given to us in the death and the resurrection and the ascension of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we, let me put it this way, may we march to the steady drumbeat of repentance in our lives this week and every week. May we march to that Because forgiveness according to the Father is steadfast love and abundant mercy. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we are reminded this day of your steadfast love, of your abundant mercy. And how it is that you love and care for us. And so this morning we pray that you would 
show us through this table the heights and the lengths and the depths of your love and of your mercy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.